Welcome back to another episode of the Cold Comedy Show. How you doing out here? We just lost one of the great ones. She stood for a lot. She fought against tyranny in our own government. I'm talking about Notorious RBG. I don't know what's going to happen after this, but I see that these Republicans do not give a damn about what the citizens think. We got to get out and vote like our lives depend on it, which it does, by the way. I'm telling you right now, shit is not right. You know, we've been fighting this same bullshit for over 40 years in my life. You know, I don't want to grow old realizing that my kids got to go through the same bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Just listen to Mr. Curtis Mayfield for a second. What's going on in America right now is the same old game that these racist motherfuckers play every day. They act like they love democracy, but they're wiping their asses with that flag. And I'm kind of fed up with this bullshit. Now they want to turn back the clock. You know, they want to put someone on the Supreme Court that basically is a political hack. What are we going to do? We're going to take to the streets, we're going to protest, we're going to stand up. We're going to demand our fucking seat at the table. Just check it out with Curtis Mayfield. Watch your wife. They locking us up, man. They locking our Never people up like it's like it's nothing. You know what I'm saying? They make money off of our bodies. We're still fighting this old Jim Crow bullshit, racist motherfucking game that these motherfuckers play every day. I'm tired of this bullshit. Meanwhile, they can gin up their racist base and them ignorant motherfuckers stand there and cheer to a demagogue. What are we going to do about this? I was just a child. I'm just a nothing child. Why couldn't they just let me be? Let me be, let me be, let me be. It's 200,000 people dead that they're telling us. But this motherfucker act like it doesn't matter. Herd immunity. Let's put someone on the Supreme Court that will go along with this white supremacy takeover of our government. Are you fucking kidding me? Take to the streets. Because they think you nothing. They think you are nothing. Mr. Curtis Mayfield. Woo! You know... Here on the Cold Comedy Show, I'm trying to keep it real because we got to fight, baby. We got to fight. And some of you don't even understand what the fight is about. They want to keep us in the ghetto. They want to keep us down and keep that boot on our backs. They choke the fuck out of us because they can't hang us up like Christmas ornaments anymore. But they lock us up in prisons and holler law and fucking order. They police our ghettos like we're the criminals. Mr. Curtis Mayfield. Alright, so let's get this bullshit out the way right now. Let me tell you right now on the Cold Company Show. If you don't have a ballot, 
stand in fucking line. You don't want them mailing that shit because they fucking with the post office? Stand in line. That was Mr. Curtis Mayfield, ghetto child. Woo! Let me tell you something right now. Mitch O'Connor didn't even wait for the woman body to get cold before he decided to say, hey, we have a new nomination. They're stacking the Supreme Court against our interests. I hate white supremacy. I really do. It's time for us to just come out and stand for what's right. We're dealing with these southern racists and plus northern bigots who don't give a fuck about this country. All they care about is themselves and their own power. Mitch O'Connell been on the government payroll for 40 years along with Lindsey Graham and the rest of those snakes. And they're going to try. They're going to try hard to stack the Supreme Court so they can send more of us to prison. Five percent of the world's population, but 25 percent of the world's prisoners. Think about that. A little country with five percent of the world's population having 25 percent of the world's prisoners, one out of four, one out of four human beings with their hands on bars, shackled in the world are locked up here in the land of the free. We had a prison population of 300,000 in 1972. Today we have a prison population of 2.3 million. The United States now has the highest rate of incarceration in the world. So you see now, suddenly they're an awakening that, oh, perhaps we need to downsize our prison system. It's gotten too expensive. It's gotten out of hand. Um, but the very folks who often express so much concern um, about the cost and the expanse of the system um, are often very unwilling to talk in any serious way about remedying the harm that has been done. History is not just stuff that happens by accident. We are the products of the history that our ancestors chose if we're white. If we are black, we are products of the history that our ancestors most likely did not choose. Yet here we all are together, the products of that set of choices, and we have to understand that in order to escape from it. The 13th Amendment to the Constitution makes it unconstitutional for someone to be held as a slave. Uh, in other words, it grants freedom all Americans. There are exceptions, including criminals. There's a clause, a loophole. If you have that embedded in the structure, in this constitutional language, then it's there to be used as a tool for whichever purposes one wants to use it. slavery, it was an economic system, and the demise of slavery at the end of the Civil War uh, left the Southern economy in tatters. Uh, and so this presented a big question. There are four million people who were formerly property, and they were formerly kind of the integral part of the economic production system in the South, and now those people are free. And so what do you do with these people? How do you rebuild your economy? The 13th Amendment loophole was immediately exploited. After the Civil War, African Americans were arrested in mass. It was our nation's first prison building. You were basically a slave again. The 13th Amendment says that, hey, except for criminals, everybody else is free. Well, now if you're criminalized, that doesn't apply to you. 
they were arrested for extremely minor crimes like loitering or vagrancy. And they had to provide labor to rebuild the economy of the South after the Civil War. you got after that was on a rapid transition to a kind of mythology of black criminality. Go back and you know read the rhetoric that people use then. They would say that the Negro was out of control, that there's a threat of violence uh, to white women. So the same sort of image we had of Uncle Remus and these genial kind of black figures was replaced by this rapacious, uh, you know, menacing, Negro male evil uh, that had to be banished. Birth of a Nation was uh, just a profoundly important cultural event. It's the first major blockbuster film hailed for both its artistic achievement and for its political commentary. And when it was released, it had this rapturous response. You know, there were lines, you know, everywhere that it was being shown. Birth of a Nation confirmed the story that many whites wanted to tell about the Civil War and its aftermath. To erase defeat and to take out of it sort of a martyrdom. Woodrow Wilson, the sitting president, had a private screening of Birth of a Nation in the White House. He calls it history written with lightning. And every image you see of a black person is a demeaned, animal-like image cannibalistic, animalistic, the image of the African-American male. This famous scene where a woman throws herself off a cliff uh, rather than be raped by a, a black male criminal. In the film, you see black people being a threat to white women. All the myths of black men as rapists was ultimately stemmed by the reality that the white political elite and the business establishment needed black bodies working. What we overlook about Birth of a Nation is that it was also a tremendously accurate prediction of the way in which race would operate in the United States. was almost directly responsible for the rebirth of the Ku Klux Klan. It had received this romantic, glowing, heroic portrait. The Klan never had the ritual of burning the cross. That was something that D.W. Griffith came up with because he thought that it was a great cinematic image. So it was literally an instance of life imitating art. The ripples emanate far out from just the simple fact that it's a movie in, in the early motion picture age. With the tremendous burst of popularity that the Ku Klux Klan had as a result of Birth of a Nation came another wave of terrorism. that they had done something criminal. At the National Democratic Convention in New York in 1924, it is estimated that at least 350 delegates were Klansmen. The demographic geography of this country was shaped by that era. We have African Americans in Los Angeles and Oakland and Chicago and Cleveland, Detroit, Boston, New York, and very few people appreciate that the African Americans in those communities did not go there as immigrants looking for new economic opportunities. They went there as refugees from terror. We didn't just land in Oakland, in LA, in Compton, in Harlem, in Brownsville in 2015. This is generational, generational trauma. The letters KKK were carved with a penknife on the chest and stomach of this man in Houston, Texas, after he had been hanged by his knees from an oak tree and flogged with a chain. America, the hatred, 
Why do you think Donald Trump's in the White House? You know, this is a documentary called The 13th Amendment. I'm letting you listen to. Brilliant piece of work. And you have to understand that all this time, all this fucking time, black folks in this freaking country who loves this country, but the country does not love them, does not love the brown people who comes and pick our crops and work hard out there in our fields to make sure America have food on its table. They holler to many. Black folks, we were slaves. Our ancestors were. You have the Hispanics who was here way before the Anglo-Saxons lost their land to selfish, racist, murderers in the name of fucking white supremacy democracy. The sin of their ancestors is now the sin of their children. You know, it's funny how we have Democrats now is the party of everyone. But back then, the Democrat Party was nothing more than old Southern segregationist party, along with a lot of the Northern businessmen who were just as bigoted as the motherfuckers in the South. You know, you can't even fucking pick up a history book or look at the real history of America and don't understand there was bigots every fucking where. Sucking the life and murdering the life out of black women, men, children. You know how cold you got to be to fucking turn around and lock a child up knowing that that child is innocent but some white woman hollered rape or he looked at us wrong, looked at her wrong, excuse me. But what the biggest pain that hurts me the most out of all of this shit that's going on right now in the next 40 some days before this we either we're gonna have a democracy in the next 40 days or we're not okay and listening to that birther motherfucker illiterate bastard stand there and cheer and play to these ignorant people who have mega all over their fucking hats and and i'm like dude Something's wrong in America because if you don't see it, this shit didn't start under Donald Trump. Before I let you finish listening to the rest of the Thirteenth Amendment, I think everybody should go out. Like I said in this Netflix, look it up on Netflix because I have another documentary we're going to be talking about. It's the All Right. Okay, um, some black kids stop some white kids from fucking burning down a Target because they know. Well, but we part of the Black Lives... No, they're not. They're white supremacy infiltrating the Black Lives Matter movement. And William Barr, and that's... Well, Donald Trump, he's too stupid to realize what the truth is. And he wouldn't believe the truth if it slapped him in the fucking face, which we need to take a two-by-four and beat the fuck out of him in the face till you realize that, hey, you're a white supremacist. Now we lost a great le- a leader... She couldn't hang on. Patriotic cancer is a dangerous thing. A killer. Because I lost a brother from that shit. I don't know where we're going. But where are we going? It's not going to be pretty. Thanks to Steve Bannon and the rest of those white nationalists like um, Roger Stone. Matterform. Those was the conduits for Russia to come in and fuck our country up. See, a lot of people don't understand that you look at Donald Trump, yeah, they have this campaign, but you know who the Russians really helping? The Republican Party itself. That's the cover-up. That's why they had a bullshit mistrial. That's why they wouldn't put witnesses out there. That's why Donald Trump won't show his records, because they give it, they probably, the Russians probably was the number one funder of his campaign, along with the Colt brothers, the Mercers, like any other traitor against our democracy. Yeah.
Welcome back to the Cold Comedy Show. I had to take a break. I had to answer the phone. That was my wife. And if I don't answer that phone, I can't go home. Um, the Secretary of Commerce, I believe, under Bill Clinton, he sees what's going on in America. And just listen to what he has to say. Trump knows he has to distract the nation from the pandemic he has failed to control, leaving more than 184,000 Americans dead as of the start of September, tens of millions jobless, and at least 30 million reportedly hungry. So he's mounting a tried and true law and order campaign. Free reign to violent anarchists and agitators and criminals who threaten our citizens. He's right, but the anarchists, agitators, and criminals threatening Americans are not those protesting police violence. They're the highly armed and racist right-wing vigilantes, along with the conspiracy theorists and shady criminals Trump has repeatedly encouraged and surrounded himself with. Take, for example, the white, gun-toting 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse, who has been charged with killing two people and wounding a third during Black Lives Matter protests in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and who, perhaps not coincidentally, occupied a front-row seat at a Trump rally in Des Moines last January. Despite the fact Rittenhouse has been charged with murder, Trump defends him, claiming he was acting in self-defense. And then they very violently attacked him, or consider the pro-Trump caravan that drove into Portland, Oregon, including the neo-fascist Proud Boys shooting Black Lives Matter protesters with pepper spray and paintballs and driving into crowds. Someone wearing the hat of a far-right group called Patriot Prayer was shot dead. Trump's reaction? Rather than condemn the violence, he tweeted, Great Patriots! in support of the pro-Trump agitators, and big backlash going on in Portland cannot be unexpected. The people of Portland won't put up with no safety any longer. He also retweeted a claim that this coup attempt is led by a well-funded network of anarchists trying to take down the president, unquote. At the Republican convention, Mike Pence lamented the death of federal officer Dave Patrick Underwood. Who was shot and killed during the riots in Oakland, California. Implying Underwood was killed by protesters. In fact, Underwood was killed by an adherent of the Boogaloo Boys, an online extremist movement that's trying to ignite a race war. Such groups have found encouragement in a president who sees very fine people on both sides. The threat to law and order also comes from conspiracy theorists like Marjorie Taylor Greene, the recently nominated Republican candidate for Georgia's 14th Congressional District and QAnon supporter. Um, Q is a patriot. We know that for sure. Whose adherents believe Trump is battling a cabal of deep state saboteurs who worship Satan and traffic children for sex. Trump has praised Green as a future Republican star and claimed the QAnon followers love our country. I've heard these are people that love our country. And the threat is coming from people like Mary Ann Mendoza, a member of Trump's campaign advisory board, who was scheduled to speak at the Republican convention until she retweeted an anti-Semitic rant. Clearly, the threat comes from hot-headed police officers who fire bullets into the backs of black people or kneel on their necks so they can't breathe. But Trump and Pence don't bother mentioning Jacob Blake or George Floyd or Breonna Taylor. And the threat comes from Trump's own lackeys who have brazenly broken laws to help him attain and keep power. Since Trump promised to hire only the best people, 14 Trump aides, donors and advisors have been indicted or imprisoned. You want the real threat to American law and order? It's found in these and other Trump enablers, lackeys, and bottom dwellers. They are the inevitable excrescence of Trump's above-the-law, race-baiting, me-first presidency. It's from the likes of them that the rest of America is in true need of protection. Now, that was Mr. Robert Wright. 
Now, if he could see that, we're in trouble. Why can't the rest of America see? Why our media is not doing its job? Because they want to keep it generically safe so they can have people come on TV and ask them questions. Why? Just like right now. You know, the justice, she hasn't been... Her body just now getting cold. And they already planning on stacking the courts. You know, they want to take away women's rights. And then they're going after civil rights. And they're going after gay rights. They want to strip us of our rights. You see how privileged these white racist motherfuckers are? That they have nothing to do better but to fuck up other people's lives. Meanwhile, you have people dying from this virus out here. And the ticker is still ticking. And he's campaigning. And what blows my mind, these mega motherfuckers are sitting there cheering him on. They have a media. They have a media platforms. And I'm thinking that those so-called the quiet majority you know, the media moguls, Wall, you know, and all of them, Walmart people, you know, anybody who's on the Alex list, I think everybody should go to Alex's website and find out who donates to Alex, Alec, and take Alec out. Take, do not support none of their products because these are companies. These are corporate-funded bigots, corporate-fund bigots. That's why they have stand your ground. That's why they fucking love guns, except when black people own them or brown people own them. See, we have, we're living in two Americas right now. But they don't want that. They don't want us living in one. They want us as minorities using the goddamn green book again and looking at signs that colored fountains only. Because what else you think that Ted Cruz and all of them acted the fool when Barack Obama was president. No, it was political. No, it was racist. It was very tribal. You know, I get mad sometimes and I talk politics because I get mad because are you paying any attention, people? Are you realizing that our democracy is slowly being destroyed by some very powerful people like the Koch brothers, the Mercers? You know, Steve Bannon, he don't use his own money. He used Robert Mercer's money. And then they love bringing up George Soros or Bill Gates. You know, they love that. Why do you think they come up with tax cuts? keep saying this over and over. They're not cutting taxes because they care about you having a little bit more money in your pocket. Because if they gave you a little bit more money, they're going to raise the price of gas so you're going to spend it, back, give it back to them. And you think if they love American citizens so much, they would give you $600 um, because they know this virus is out If they cared about America, they would make sure that people would have universal health care. But they agendas racist base up. When they was kids, they was fed that, spoon-fed that racist bullshit. Socialism, communism. You're a socialist, except for every first of the month. You're a socialist. Oh, you're a socialist when you call the cops on black people. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to say anymore. I thought in my lifetime, America would be better than what it is. I thought when Barack Obama became president and if we would have worked together, we would have a better union. But they so hateful that they would destroy, destroy the United States of America before they share it. <laughs> That's selfish tribal and those same those same old rural whites who live out there and don't hardly see nothing to call themselves Hispanics or a few black speckled in I mean 
sprinkled in, freckled in. They, they, you know, they cool. But they can arm themselves and guard the border. Keep immigrants from coming over the border like they're the plague. And a plague is killing us because an incompetent man with white supremacist help put in the White House. And our media ignores all of that and run to some poll and say, well, see, Trump has 44% of Americans, 44%, 50%. I don't give a shit about polls because polls are full of shit. That's a lazy way of saying white America is racist. Just come out and say it. If you vote for Trump, if you're a Republican, or you unfucking decided, you're a racist. And you don't give a shit about this country. Welcome back to another episode of this crazy show called Go Comedy Show. Hey, man, I'm just keeping it real. That was Curtis Mayfield, one of the baddest brothers with once mm, a black soul music that you ever want to listen to because he has a message in his songs, man. And there's a lot going on in this crazy world. It's a lot going on. You're listening to the Cold Comedy Show. I'm coming back with a sister that... um. A lot of Republicans don't care for, and um, she don't really care either how they feel about her because she speaks her mind, and she's straight up and real. You know, it's she knows what's going on, and she knows that um, these men who's so-called supposed to be patriots, they're not. And so I'm glad she won. Uh, her primary and she's going to go back to the House of Representatives and um, a lot of hateful racists people don't care for so when I get ready to let her talk, but I gotta listen to this for a moment.
Trump is before the Supreme Court trying to strip health care coverage away from ten Supreme Court trying to strip health care coverage away from tens of millions of families. This took away the peace of mind of more than 100 million Americans with pre-existing conditions. If he succeeds, insurers could once again discriminate or drop coverage completely for people living with pre-existing conditions like asthma, diabetes, cancer, and so many other problems. And perhaps, most cruelly of all, if Donald Trump has his way, the complications from COVID-19, which are well beyond what they should be. It's estimated that 200 million people have died, probably by the time I finish this talk. The complications of COVID-19, like lung scarring and heart damage, could become the next deniable pre-existing condition for over 6 million Americans who've already contracted the disease. Millions of Americans are also voting because they don't want nearly half a century of legal precedent to be overturned lose the right to choose. Millions of Americans who are at risk of losing their right to vote. Millions of dreamers who are at risk of being expelled from the only country they have ever known. Millions of workers, union workers, who are at risk of losing their right to collectively bargain. Millions of Americans who are demanding that their voices be heard that equal justice be a guarantee for all, not just some. They know, we all know what should happen now. The voters of this country should be heard. As I said, voting has already begun. By the time we get to the middle of October, there will be millions and millions and millions have already voted. In just a few weeks, all votes of this nation will be heard. They're the ones who the Constitution vision should decide who has the power to make this appointment. This appointment isn't about the past. It's about the future. And the people of this nation, and the people of this nation are choosing their future right now as they vote. To jam this nomination through the Senate is just an exercise in raw political power. And I don't believe the people of this nation will stand for it. President Trump has already made it clear. This is about power, pure and simple power. Whether the voters should make it clear on this issue, there's so many others, the power in this nation resides with them, the American people, the voters. Even if, Trump, even if President Trump wants to put forward a name now, the Senate should not act until after the American people select their next president, their next Congress, their next Senate. If Donald Trump wins the election, then the Senate should move on his selection and weigh the nominee he chooses fairly. But if I win the selection, President Trump's nominee should be withdrawn. As a new president, I should be the one who nominates Justice Ginsburg's successor. A nominee who should get a fair hearing in the Senate before a confirmation hearing, before a confirmation vote, I should say, after a confirmation hearing. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Like I said, as I speak, we're probably passing 200,000 deaths lost to this virus. 
Tens of millions of Americans are unemployed. Healthcare in this country hangs in the balance before the court. And now, in a raw political move, this president and the Republican leader have decided to jam a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court through the United States Senate. That's the last thing we need at this moment. As I said, voters have already begun casting their votes in the millions. In just a few weeks, we're going to know who the voters of this nation have chosen as the next president. The United States Constitution was designed to give voters one chance, one chance to have their voice heard and who serves on the court. And by the way, there's no court session between now and the end of this election. That moment is now for the voters to get a chance to be heard and their voice should be heard. And I believe voters are going to make it clear They'll not stand for this abuse of power, this constitutional abuse. There's no discussion about what happens if the Senate confirms on the eve of election or in a lame duck after Donald Trump loses. A successor to Justice Ginsburg, what happens? But that discussion assumes that we lose this effort to prevent the grave wrong that Trump and McConnell are pursuing here. I'm not going to assume failure at this point. I believe the voices of the American people should be heard and will be heard. This vote, this fight, this nomination will not be over until the Senate votes, if it does vote. Winning that vote, if it happens, is everything. Action and reaction. Anger and more anger sorrow and frustration at the way things are in this country now politically. That's the cycle that Republican senators will continue to perpetuate if they go down this dangerous path that they put us on. We need to de-escalate, not escalate. So I appeal to those few Senate Republicans, the handful who really will decide what happens. Please follow your conscience. Don't vote to confirm anyone nominated under the circumstances President Trump and Senator McConnell have created. Don't go there. Uphold your constitutional duty, your conscience. Let the people speak. Cool the flames that have been engulfing our country. We can't keep rewriting history, scrambling norms, ignoring our cherished system of checks and balances. That includes this whole business of releasing a list of potential nominees that I would put forward. But now saying after they, after Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away, they said Biden should release his list. It's no wonder the Trump campaign asked that I release the list only after she passed away. It's a game for them. It's a play to gin up emotions and anger. There's a reason why no presidential candidate other than Donald Trump, has ever done such a thing. First, putting a judge's name on a list like that could influence that person's decision-making as a judge, and that would be wrong, or at least create the perception that it would have influence. Second, anyone put on a list like that under these circumstances will be subject to unrelenting political attacks because any nominee I would select would not get a hearing until 2021 at the earliest, she would endure those attacks for months on end without being able to defend herself. And thirdly and finally, perhaps most importantly, if I win, I'll make my choice for the Supreme Court not based on a part partisan election campaign, but on what prior presidents have done, Republicans and Democrats, and I've served with many of them, only after consulting Democrats and Republicans in the United States Senate and seeking their advice and asking for their consent. It says, advise and consent the Senate. The president is the person who gets to name someone, propose. The Senate disposes. As everyone knows, 
I made it clear that my first choice for the Supreme Court will make history as the first African-American woman justice. But I'll consult with senators in both parties about that pick, as well as the legal and civil leaders on our country. In the end, the choice will be mine and mine alone, but I will consult. It will be the product of a process that restores our finest traditions, not the extension of one that's torn this country apart the last years. So let me conclude with this. As I've said in this campaign, we're in the battle for the soul of this country. We face historic, we face historic crises, once-in-a-generation pandemic, a devastating economic recession, the rise of white supremacy that the FBI directors warned us against unseen since the 60s, and a reckoning on race that's long overdue, a challenging climate, a changing climate that is ravaging our nation and the world as we speak. The Supreme Court decisions will touch every part of these crises every part of our lives and our future. The last thing we need is to add a constitutional crisis that plunges us deeper into the abyss, deeper into the darkness. If we go down this path, I predict it will cause irreversible damage. The infection this president has unleashed on our democracy can be fatal. Enough. Enough, enough. We must come together as a nation. Democrats, Republicans, independents, liberals, conservatives, everybody. I'm not saying we have to agree in everything. But we have to reason our way through what ails us as citizens, voters, public servants. That's the guidebook called the Constitution. We have to act in good faith and mutual goodwill in the spirit of conciliation, not confrontation. This nation will continue to be inspired by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But we should not only be inspired by her, we should be guided by her. And by her willingness to listen to those with whom she disagreed, to respect other points of view. Famously, Justice Ginsburg got along well with some of the most conservative justices on the court. And she did it without compromising her principles, clouding her moral clarity, or losing her core principles. If she can do this, so can we. How we talk to one another matters. How we treat one another matters. Respecting others matters. Justice Ginsburg proved it's important to have a spine of steel, but also important to have an open hand, not a clenched fist, to those with whom we disagree. This nation needs to come together. I've said it many times in this election, we are the United States of America. There's nothing we cannot overcome. There's nothing we cannot do if we do it together. Donald Trump seems to want us to divide this nation between red states and blue states, between representing those states that vote for him, ignoring those who don't. I do not. I cannot. I will not be that president. I'll be a president for the whole country for those who vote for me and those who vote against me. We need to rise at this moment for the sake of the country we love so dearly, indeed for its very soul. May God bless the United States of America. May God protect our troops. And may God bless Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Thank you so much. Voting for Joe Biden is not about whether you agree with him. It's a vote to let our democracy live another day. That's what this is about. 
We need to act in solidarity and protection for the most vulnerable people in our society who have already experienced the violent repercussions of this administration. And the reason we need to do that is because yes, the political middle is willing to sacrifice immigrants. The political middle too often is willing to play both sides when, it, when someone dies to police violence. Absolutely. That's why we need to show up. We need to show up because if we don't show up, those people don't get protected. Because no one politician is the answer. No one president is the answer. You are the answer. Mass movements are the answer. Millions of people are the answer. You are the answer. Let this moment radicalize you. Let this moment really put everything into stark focus. Because this election has always been about the fight of and for our lives. And if anything, tonight is making that more clear to more people than ever before. Whether we like it or not, November's about survival. November's about survival. And we need to work to honor all of those who came before us to fight for our future and to fight for our democracy and to fight for something more just. Because our ancestors have stared down the barrel of hopelessness before too. They've done that too. And they persisted. And you tell me she's not going to be the future speaker of the house. Whew, what a woman. Listen, I can swear I can get pissed off, but you listen to Joe. He just did a speech. Our lives depend on us getting out standing in lines and voting because this white supremacy movement with Steve Bannon and the Mercers connected to Cambridge Analytica and the Brexit. See, this is not just happening here in America. It's happening around the world. The, the rise of fascists, the rise of white supremacy. And see, those white boys are grabbing their guns. They've been ginned up. They've been ginned up by Fox News, Newsmax, Sinclair Broadcasting. And I still say we should take to the streets and boycott and make sure that Comcast pulled the plugs on all of these right-wing networks. Fuck the freedom of speech. Fuck they have a right to actually put their bullshit on TV every night through Hannity, Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingrams, and then you flip over to Newsmax, they bullshitting their same fucking racist ass people over there. And these motherfuckers in the middle who undecided, all I can say, that have been out of red line. Uh, historically, these ghettos that have systemically been set up yes, and treated yes. the way that they have been, the conditions of the drugs, the guns, and everything else that actually created the symptoms yeah. for what we see, uh, that you uh, profess to be just the democratic cities in themselves. Uh, these things have historically been happening for African-Americans in these ghettos, and we have not been seeing uh, a change. Uh, quite frankly, under your administration, under the Obama's administration, under the Bush, under the Clinton, the very same things happen and the very same systems and cycles continue to, to continue to ensue. And we need to see, because uh, you say again, we need to see when was that great? Because that pushes us back to a time in which we cannot identify with such greatness. 
And I mean, you've said everything else about choking and everything else, but you have yet to address and acknowledge okay. that there's been a race problem in America. So if you go, well, I hope there's not a race problem. I can tell you there's none with me because I have great respect for all races, for everybody. This country is great because of it. But when you go back six months and you take a look at what was happening, you can't even compare that with past administrations. When you look at income levels and a lot of things because of the job situation where they had the lowest income, the best, the best unemployment numbers they've ever had, the black community by far. And that was solving a lot of problems. And you know what else it was? It was bringing people together. I was starting to get, just before this was, you know, we were having a long run of success. I was starting to get calls from Democrats that, hey, it's starting to work. Let's get together. People that you would never have thought this would have happened with. There was going to be unity. But unfortunately, that was hurt because we got set back. But now, I think next year is going to be one of our best years economically. But, in, but income equality is still But in, income equality is higher. So, I mean, jobs can be produced, but at the same time, in a lot of these big major cities where African Americans are underserved, under-resourced, that's an $8-hour job does not mean that they can necessarily afford to live where they have to live or where they've been living at for the last 20 years. Well, the income inequality, which I agree with you, is a problem. I always agreed with that. But if you look under President Obama and Biden, the income inequality was phenomenal. It was, it was record-setting. It was, it was It's getting worse now. Well, we're talking about a plague coming in. Before the plague, uh, we were doing very well. Now, we will soon be doing well again because we're going to have a fantastic third quarter. You're seeing the numbers come in. I think you're going to have a GDP that's mid-20s and maybe much higher. Somebody said 35. I don't know. That would. These are all records we're talking about. And you're going to have a very good, economically, you're going to have a very good year next year. But I agree with a lot of the things you say, but you have to look back because we really had it going well. Had we not been hit by this horrible disease that came into our land, and all over the world, by the way, came all over the world, uh, we would be in a position where I think income inequality would be different. It was really getting there. We were really driving it down, we have, driving we have, it together. We have to move on, but even before the pandemic, the average black family was earning half of what the average white family was earning, even if you hold education You're constant. Right. I can only compare it to the past. Uh, the the african-american the black community was doing better than it had ever done by far both in terms of unemployment uh, home ownership so many different statistics even in terms of but there was still a gap between blacks and whites well, i mean there was a gap but we were doing a good job it was getting better and then it was artificially shut down by this disease that came onto our land and they made him president of these United States. That's what I wanted you to hear. Now, income inequality is part of the fabric of this country. So when he said make America great again, he's not talking about making America work for all. He's talking about white supremacy. And when you listen to that bullshit that comes out of that man's mouth and you wonder how the fuck these people follow this man because they feel and think just like him it's it's in the it's it's it's, it's who who america really is so we can holler democracy around the world freedom democracy the greatest land in the world but yet our democracy is going to be destroyed if we don't take our country back from these white supremacists who send this idiot clown who watch TV seven hours a day and only thing these white supremacists like Mitch O'Connell, Paul Ryan, who snuck away because he know what their plans were, um, Lindsey Graham, Martha Blackburn and all of those southern racist motherfuckers who grew up in that catechism of white supremacy thinking the south fought a war that was proud and gracious it was about states rights to keep their fucking knee on the backs of minorities when a man cannot answer Straight up and say, yeah, I understand. Income inequality. America was never great. We have a race problem. 
you will be more presidential. But it's the system. The system that was so racist that will allow someone like Donald Trump to become president of these United States. It's not Donald Trump. It's the system. That's why Mitch O'Connell doing what he want to do. That's why they run over to right-wing propaganda machine. Because like Fox News, so they can lie to the base. To keep those ignorant rednecks in line. Because you know, a poor white man is more stupid than racist. And... All I can say is, if we don't get out and vote, I mean, we gotta vote. Because our country is in serious, serious trouble. It's not about Democrat and Republican. It's about right and wrong. See, America do well if she make a wrong turn. She always does that. And it's not the first time someone sit around and come up with racist laws. Kavanaugh and Gorsuch and Roberts and Thomas and the rest of those white nationalists who sits up there. Yeah, Robert is one. Clarence Thomas is one. Clarence Thomas is the worst of the worst. Him, Tim Scott, Ben Carson, Candace Owens, any other black person, knowing that they helped keep white supremacy in America going. And these motherfuckers wrapped themselves in the flag knowing that crooks are out there destroying our democracy. It's traitors to our democracy. So when you look at a Republican and they say Trump is doing a good job, or they holler, I'm fiscal conservative, or I'm a Christian, remember those are cold words for Ku Klux Klan and white supremacy. That's all it is. Now you guys been listening to the Cold Comedy Show. We're going to go out with a little soul. And I um, hope you guys stay safe. And don't forget to get out and vote because our country, our democracy, you like your freedom. Don't let white supremacists take your freedom away from you. The legendary staple singers. You're listening to the Cold Comedy Show. I'm signing off right now. I want you guys to understand. We got to get out and vote. I'm going to say it again. We got to get out and vote because our lives depend on it. Just listen to the staple singers and have a good day.